Welcome to the Balanced Babes podcast. I'm Kim Perez. I'm Amanda Montalvo. And we are functional nutritionists trained in a holistic, integrative approach to health and are founders of the Balanced Babe Method and Facebook group. We are on a mission to help women learn how to nourish their bodies, balance their hormones, and feel good in their skin. Because we've both dealt with our own health struggles, we are passionate about helping women become more in tune with their bodies and eliminate hormonal imbalances naturally through food, lifestyle habits, mindset, and targeted supplements tailored to each woman. We believe in the importance of intention, the power of intuition, and the value of prioritizing self-care. And we're here to empower all women. Before we get started, we want to remind you that we are not your doctor, and the content shared on this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please chat with your doctor before making any changes. It's Amanda. Quick question for you. What kind of deodorant do you use? My absolute favorite non-toxic deodorant is the Blue Tansy deodorant from Primally Pure. I gift it to all of my clients and I've gotten both of my sisters hooked on it. And I hear the same thing from everyone. Oh my gosh, it actually works and doesn't irritate my skin. I've tried at least 15 non-toxic deodorants and while some of them definitely work better than others, none of them compare to Primally Pure, especially the Blue Tansy one. Not only do they avoid harmful ingredients like aluminum, fragrance, and different hormone disruptors, but it won't irritate your skin and it lasts all day. You can grab your own at PrimallyPure.com and make sure you use the code BBP to get 10% off your first order. Hey everyone, welcome to the Balance Babes podcast. This is Kim Perez, nutritional therapy practitioner. And with me today, I have Danielle Della Valle, nutritional therapy practitioner, the author of Happy Weight, host of the Vulva Magic podcast, and creator of Your Wellness Academy. Welcome, Danielle. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so excited. We have so many fun things to talk about. Um, but before we get into it, we love to start with some icebreakers. So I chose a couple for you. Um, the first one's going to be, what aspect of your daily routine do you look forward to the most? Oh, you know, I would say my morning coffee because I live in such a beautiful place in Southwest Washington. So I'll like go out on my deck and drink my coffee and watch the hummingbirds and just like kind of have my own style of meditation in the morning because working from home has like been the most amazing thing I've ever done. and. So yeah, that's my, I like look forward to that every day. It's so Absolutely. amazing. Yeah. That sounds so peaceful. It really is. It really is. Yeah. Oh, I love it. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, second question. What's one thing about you that people might be surprised to know? Oh, you know, I think a lot of people, they see me now and they think like, well, Danielle doesn't wear makeup. She's really natural, but I actually used to be pretty obsessed with all things beauty. So I had a ridiculous amount of makeup. I would spend a ton of money on my hair and nails and all that kind of stuff. So I used to be definitely an Orange County girl for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think changed? 
Like, I'm moving to the Pacific Northwest, you know, everyone's super body positive up here. And like, actually like it's out of place if someone's wearing a ton of makeup up here. So it was actually kind of a nice natural transition. It's really interesting. I found that like traveling different places too. Like I'm in New York, I'm outside of the city, but close enough to go in and see like that's how people present themselves there versus in, in other places. It's really, really interesting. I could see how like just being living in a different place can really shift that. Totally. Totally. Well, cause on the East coast girls like don't dye their hair. Everyone has natural hair and like not typically don't wear nail polish either. And so that whenever I'd visit my cousin in Greenwich, I was always so like, what, you don't dye your hair? Like, what is that? You know, cause everyone's a bottle blonde in California. So. That's true. I, I find it interesting when I go down South, how like all the women are dressed so like everyone's always presented so beautifully. Oh yeah. And improper. And it's gore. I mean, it's great. It's gorgeous, but it's just funny. Like how different, how different it is. Well, yeah, they wouldn't dare leave the house without their pearls and their lipstick. Right. Amazing. It's really cool. <laughs> so speaking of body positivity, positivity, um, the last question I have for you is what's one thing you love about your body? Mm, my breasts. I have phenomenal breasts. <laughs> you do, I might ask. <laughs> Thank you. I love it. That's awesome. That's one thing I'm starting to learn to be a little bit more comfortable with too, like pregnancy and like my things are changing a little bit. It's kind of heck yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. I love that because so many women like hate theirs, whether they're too small, too big, not proportional, like whatever the case might be. Everyone complains. Like the grass is always greener. I don't understand. I mean, that's their choice. And of course, you know, your feelings are valid, but all breasts are so fabulous. I mean, it's, that's how we give children their nutrients and create life. And as a kid, I was always enamored with the, um, the kind of like, and the Ottoman empire and like African fertility, uh, statues, you know, and just like, they were always so beautiful. So any size of breasts to me is just like, I don't know. I'm a boob gal, I guess you could say. <laughs> oh my God. That's awesome. <laughs> well, I mean, these, all this sets the stage for what we're going to talk about today, body positivity and body image and, you know, being comfortable in your body. But I want to talk a little bit about your background because you, you've done a lot of things. You're doing a lot of things, but I want our audience to really get to know you a little bit more. Um, what has your journey looked like and what's brought you to doing what you're doing today? Yeah. So, um, I had a really unconventional childhood, you know, I went to 11 schools before college and then college was one of those situations where I'm a creative, but that's creative personalities are never really fostered unless you're artistic, you know? And so for me, conventional style of school just didn't really work. And so I always felt like I was, I thought something was wrong with me. I was like, I'm not smart. I can't fit into the standard of society. You know, what's kind of happening. So around my mid twenties, I was like, okay, I need to make a change. And I'd been going through some, some health stuff, you know, as we all know, as nutritional therapists now about leaky gut and then nutrient deficiency. And I had, a, you know, some pretty impactful food sensitivities and that type of stuff. So um, I had gotten to a point where I was like, oh, okay. And a family friend had recommended the program and I was like, oh, well, not only is it going to help my health, but also let's see how I can turn this into something. And it gave me a newfound confidence, 
you know, cause as I grew up as a perpetual dieter, you know, every woman in Southern California knows how to diet by the time they're 13. And so I knew, I knew about every single diet. I mean, I knew about Atkins before it was even mainstream, you know, because when you're in Southern California, everybody knows about the new diet before it even comes out. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that, so nutrition to me was always fascinating because it was like, oh, food is, you know, this bigger pie in the sky thing. And I had started, um, my entire career was in food and beverage retail. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, this is something I could kind of pair. But then that confidence I had lacked my entire life, I kind of like found instantly when I graduated to be an NTP. And it was just like this unreal sensation of empowerment. And I was like, oh, I, this is what I was meant to do. I'm a healer. I'm a creative, like all of these like energetic, like alignments kind of all happened at once. And it was just kind of crazy because then immediately I went to work in a ketogenic weight loss clinic and I was like their primary nutritionist for the whole region. And then I helped them write their national menu and like all of these different, it was almost like my entire life of you know, just kind of like work ethic ended up just like skyrocketing. So then I ended up opening a private practice and then I wrote my book and then, you know, I've gone on to do all of these crazy things and I teach for the NTA now and I'm starting my own company. I even co-founded a conference this last year. And so it's just been a really interesting journey and it's really fascinating when you find what you're meant to do for the rest of your life, because it just really it's like that fire you're always looking for, you know, and then it just kind of happened. So yeah, that's my life in a nutshell. It's <laughs> awesome. Um, the book, Happy Weight, we use this as one of our book club books. Um, I recommend it to every woman that I work with. Um, I actually was going to pull it um, before and then I was like, crap, I lent it out to one of my clients. <laughs> um, I need to like have like a library of them, but Happy Weight. I want to talk about this because like, as we were chatting before, and we've talked about this in the past, this is a huge struggle for so many women. I've been there. I still struggle with it. Um, you know, what is this concept to you of happy weight? What, what brought you to write this book? Yeah. Well, first, thank you for having it be a part of your book club. It's oh, so welcome. meaningful to it me. Was so Oh my gosh. I'm just so grateful. And watching what it's done for people is just like, I can't even believe it. I feel like I was possessed and then the book just happened, you know? <laughs> I guess that's good, right? <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's definitely good. Um, you know, growing up where I did, of course, body image was a huge issue and in a, in the most unhealthy way possible, at least in other parts of of North America, you can see that there are varying sizes and women are kind of like revered for varying sizes. But where I grew up, if you were not a zero to a two, people were going to be talking about you behind your back. And so it was more or less like that is how people kept up with the Joneses is with their appearance. And so growing up with that super unhealthy aspect, but I didn't know, like, I just thought that was life. That was normal. I didn't realize that that, that there was anything different. And then when I worked in the, you know, in ketogenic medical weight loss um, in that clinic, you know, I was seeing a lot of women, you know, on our busiest day, it would be 20 plus women I would see wow. in a day. 
And that's, you know, and then for almost two years, you know, I'm seeing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of clients and just, it was one of those things that I, I started to see what it was like for every woman and recognize that this was a institutionalized problem. Instead of actually like being like, yeah, weight loss is great. This is going to be my career for the next 20 years. I was like, something is wrong. This is bad. And so I was really grateful for that experience, even though at the time I was just like seething with fury. Uh, But after I opened my private practice, I started to change the narrative with all of my female clients. You know, we didn't, we didn't talk bad about our bodies anymore. We didn't, weight loss was not the goal, you know, all of the different things. So I started to transform and, and I told my husband one day, I was like, I, I can't possibly work with every woman on the planet. So how am I going to be able to get this message out? And so I was like, well, I'm just going to write a book. I love to write. I've blogged, you know, so many times. Um, And so I was like, this is just what I want to do. And so I got started with the process. Didn't recognize how hard it was to write a book. Like I can't imagine to write a good book is hard. Anyone can write a shitty book to write a good book. (laughs) You have to pour your heart, soul, and like every moment of your entire life into it. And so I did, and I went on that journey, and it was really, it was really intense, but, and of course, super vulnerable, because right when you publish, you don't know if anyone's going to like your work, or if it's going to be crap, or whatever, Mm -hmm. but uh, as soon as I got the first person to tell me that they were like, oh, this changed my life, I was like, that, that is why I did this, this is the reason for this, and I mean, essentially, for anyone who's listening who hasn't read Happy Weight yet, I mean, it really takes you on a journey it brings up past emotions and feelings. It makes you face everything you haven't dealt with. It makes you do the work. And so some people have to take their time through it. And some people aren't ready for it. I had one of my reviews on Amazon was like, if you're not in a comfortable place on your food journey, this might not be the book for you Mm -hmm. yet, you know, because it is, it really is like that, that place that's going to take you there and force you to really look at all of the things that you're doing that make you not like yourself on a daily basis and bring you to the space where you're forced to love yourself. That's so true. And I find that to be just like a very, a very strong theme with a lot of women that want to lose weight. Again, your goals are valid, but when it comes from a place of like self-loathing or, you know, weight generally isn't really the issue. It's some, something else. And that's why I love your book because it's so different than any other weight loss, not weight loss, but, you know, finding your, finding your happy weight, um, is a lot different than a weight loss approach because you bring up deep stuff. Like it's not just about the physical. I love you talk so much about nutrition in that book, which we'll, we'll touch upon as well, but you talk about things that somebody probably would never relate to, you know, having to do with your weight, like setting boundaries and other people's, you know, projections of what they say about their body and your body. And it, it's really, it is, it is heavy, but I just love that it is so refreshing because it's so different. I appreciate you saying that because the funny thing is about the book is like, I'm really deconstructing the psychology of Mm -hmm. what it is to like be a woman who has negative body image with a little bit of like personal memoir anecdote in there too. And then of course, talking about my experience in the industry. But the funny thing is, is people don't 
look at my book as something that has any sort of like place in the wellness industry or scientific backing or anything because it's not a how to. Mm-hmm. I'm not telling you exactly how to do something. I'm literally letting you go on this journey on your own and empowering people to be their own advocate. And I think the wellness industry isn't quite ready for that yet. No way. No so way. It's been diet really is funny. Easy, right? Diet is yeah. easy in the sense that you have a roadmap to follow and you either do it or you don't. And if you don't do it, you're bad and you just suck and you're going to fail, right? Like your yeah. book is more like, here's a lot of stuff that you can explore. And I also love that there are generally two camps I'm finding. It's like the diet industry, diet, lose weight, exercise, etc. And then there's like this body positivity on the other end of the spectrum, which is like, you don't, you can eat whatever you want. You don't, you know, and then there's nothing in between. And that's what yeah. I loved a lot about your book is that you didn't shy away from like, there are foods that most people, you know, don't really need to be eating. And there are foods that are, might be getting in the way with how you're feeling, which can then be interfering with your own body image. Absolutely. Well, the thing is, is I'm a practitioner first. Do you know what I mean? And I have worked with chronically ill clients. I've worked with people that have serious things going on in their life and that everything impacts them that, you know, the chemicals in their home could put them in the hospital that, you know, going out and eating in a restaurant that has an ingredient that inherently doesn't work for their entire genetic system could put them in the hospital, you know? And so that's the thing is like, I respect the body positive industry. I really, really do. But I think it can be detrimental for the women that don't know whether or not they have an autoimmune disease, mm-hmm. don't know whether or not they have either food allergies or food sensitivities. And that's the thing is like the, the wellness industry is so pro-diet and less about information and advocacy and then just recognizing bioindividuality and that everyone is special and unique because they are. You know, and the thing is, is like, I'm okay being here by myself in the middle. I'm used to that. I've always been the outsider in any room in my entire life. So I'm okay with it, but I'm not going to sit here and try and be cool and either be pro diet or completely pro body positive, eat whatever you want, because that doesn't make people get to a place where they have quality of life. Amen. Yeah, that's really true. And the nourishment piece too, like, you know, a real food, whole food diet is nourishing where not very many diets, if any, are focused on that. No. And for me, like if I still ate gluten, I don't, I'd probably be on five different pharmaceutical meds right Mm -hmm. now for my mental health because my paranoia was so severe. I thought people were trying to poison me. Oh my gosh. But that's what happens when the brain just does, it's misfiring. You don't have the proper nutrient. Your inflammation is just totally taking over that you can't think straight. You don't know who you are anymore. And to be able to just remove one food and, and rewire my brain in my entire life. I mean, I am so grateful for that experience. So I will never, I will never tell people that it's okay to just go and eat Dunkin' Donuts all day, every day for the rest of your life, because you don't know what kind of damage that could be doing to you and your mental health and your immune system long-term. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and there is this element of, you know, restriction versus choice that I think is yeah. also very, very, very important. You know, it's a yeah. choice for you to avoid gluten because you know how it makes you feel. Um, yes. I've seen women struggle with that. They want to have an all-inclusive diet and remove restriction, but then, you know, a practitioner might be telling them, you know, you might want to remove gluten or dairy or sugar or whatever it is. And then automatically it's like, well, that's a diet, that's restriction. But there is a very subtle difference when it's, this is your choice to do this, to feel a certain way. Yes, it is a choice. And I, I talk about that in happy weight as well, that like, it's not that you can't have anything. You can have whatever you want. You're an mm -hmm. adult, but do, what do you choose to do? You know, what makes you actually feel good at the end of the day? What makes you wake up in the morning and just feel energized and amazing and happy and like just fulfilled and grateful. And, you know, so it's going to be different for every single person, but I just really, I, I really like just really want the world to understand that we have to love our bodies and then also love it in a way of nourishment. Mm -hmm. Right. It's different than looking in your mirror and loving everything about your body versus taking care of your body. And that's how you're expressing your love. And, you know, maybe there are some aspects of your body that you are unhappy with and you, you can work on that. But if you're coming at it from that place of, oh, I hate how I look, so I have to diet or, you know, I have to do this exercise plan because I don't like my thighs or something like that. It's so different. It's such a switch that can get flipped on if you just do that work and are open to it. Absolutely. I think, you know, for anyone who is like, I hate this one aspect of myself, don't hate anything about yourself. Love it. And then recognize, like, say, for instance, like I used to have really bad skin when I ate gluten, you know, and it's like, okay, but that's a tell. What is my body telling me? It's telling me that there's an inflammatory process going on there. Don't look at your skin and say, oh my God, it's disgusting. It's horrible. Like this is terrible because acne happens. Like it happens to everybody. Mm -hmm. We have hormonal fluctuation, you know, there's environmental things that can happen. Even if you're on an airplane, oh my gosh, if you've read the articles of what an airplane does to your skin, you know, it's just inevitable. But the thing is, is like, don't sit there in seething hatred. Look at everything as an opportunity. Okay, I'm going to hydrate more today. I'm going to put loving things in my body. Like I'm going to, you know, have some citrus that's really beneficial, or I'm going to, you know, make sure that I'm trying things that are a little bit dairy free to reduce inflammation in my body. So it's just more of like a, it's almost like a math problem. You know, it's physiological. It's like, how am I going to love my body today? Not how am I going to hate it? And I need to restrict. It's like, how am I going to nourish myself and give this vessel that gives me life some love and, and care, you know, the little TLC. Mm -hmm. And it is, it's like, it's a math problem. It's an exploration. And mm -hmm. I find that to be super empowering versus reading a diet to follow. Now it's like, you're, you're in the driver's seat. You get to do the explorations and your book gives you that great roadmap for places to explore, but it just continues to take you on this journey of what else can I be doing? And it builds upon everything that you have done. Yeah. And also I want people to know that happy weight is also not finite. It can change. Like you can, 
find, you know, one happy weight at the end of this one journey. And then you learn so many more things and then you have a new idea of what happy weight is, you know, so it, it can shift. It can transition. I'm in a process right now of rediscovering movement in my body because before I wrote happy weight, I was, I was over exercising and then I took well needed rest. And now I'm getting back to like a healthier movement, you know, routine of like backpacking with girlfriends and going on really long walks and doing yoga and things that make me feel meditative and fulfilled. And so that's the thing is like, you can't, don't think that, you know, new nourishing styles of eating are horrible and that moving your body is horrible. It's just what works for you at the time and what makes you feel fulfilled. And just how it's different for every different person. It's yeah. for every different phase of life. Yes. Important. So, um, so for someone, you know, whether they've read the book or not, I'm going to link to the book and I hope that everyone, (laughs) everyone's listening, reads it. Um, but what are, you know, your top couple of tips for someone to like get started on this journey to finding their happy weight and feeling good in their body? The first thing to get started is to get rid of your scale. Like, don't even hide it. Like, you have to give it away. You have to throw it away. You have to donate it because that is an addiction for most people. So you need to get rid of that until you learn how to have a healthy relationship with the scale. And by that, I mean that some people actually do need to control um, their autoimmune inflammation by understanding if a number changes or not, you know, based on like sort of, you know, when you, when you have an inflammatory flare up, people end up having a lot of inflammation that changes their body. And so but that could be years before somebody can get to that point. So I would say, number one, get rid of your scale. Number two, change your perspective. Start hanging out with people that make you feel good. Stop going to places that make you feel like crap. Find a new hobby. Like Start to really shift what the world looks like in your eyes. Because if you're in a place of perpetual hatred, you are in the wrong space. I've even seen nutritionists who are super orthorexic and like borderline eating disorders. And it's like, you should probably not be in the nutrition world. That is true. And a lot of nutritionists get into that because of, you know, some obsession that they have. Exactly. Or if social media makes you feel like crap, delete it, Mm -hmm. you know? So just do something that shifts your perspective. And then third, I would have to say is go outside. Oh my God. Yes. Get off your computer, get off your phone, set boundaries, tell everyone to F off for a day (laughs) and like go find some nature, whether it's near water, whether it's near trees, even if you live in a concrete jungle, go to a botanical garden, just like get reconnected and get right with nature because it is a physiological experience that has been scientifically proven to reduce your stress levels and it's good for you. So those would be my top three. Get rid of the scale, change your perspective, and go outside. <laughs> awesome. I love that. I, again, things that you wouldn't really think of when you're on a journey to feeling better in your, in your body and about your body. Most women mm-hmm. think that the scale is the number one thing that they should be focusing on. I've even had women ask me, like, okay, I'm, I weigh this now, and i this tall, and what's a good weight for me? And it's like, nobody can answer that question. You can't even answer that question. No. And you know what I like to encourage people to do is go look at the hashtag of whatever their, uh, their current weight is 
because it'll show you um, that your weight will not even change, even if your body changes. So like for weightlifters, for instance, you know, like it'll, it'll show their, their side by side and it'll be exactly the same weight on the scale. So if you're trying to track progress by weight loss, you don't even know how the body works and you don't even know like that you could be exactly the same weight and your body can look completely different. So that's the thing. And I think that's why I love a lot of like what Steph Gaudreau talks about. I love a lot of what uh, Beth Manos Bricky talks about, you know, they really share and embody fitness with body positivity and help people to recognize that like, you've got the wrong idea and it's not their fault. It's society. It's institutionalized. Like, of course, you know, the patriarchy, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so, you know, but the reality is, is we really need to reframe that perspective. Yeah, absolutely. So throw the scale out if you still have one. Yeah, get rid of it. And get the perspective is so important. I've seen that a lot, you know, as a woman and different friend groups that you can see, like different groups of women that you hang out with. You know, everybody's got like different, different, uh, kind of groups. And I feel like there's some groups that I'm, that I talk to that body is not even a thing. Like nobody talks about it and it's refreshing versus, you know, you might mingle with some other women and then that's like the topic of the conversation. And you see such a big difference, especially if you're, that's who you're surrounding yourself with and not just in person, but social media too. If you're following accounts that are always talking about body and weight loss and, you know, transformation pictures. It's like, what are you constantly, whether you realize it or not, what information are you constantly getting about bodies? Yeah. Why? That's the thing is like, I really appreciate the ability to curate the information you're receiving, you know, when you're online and that type of stuff, because you could, you could easily be doing yourself a detriment and you could easily be following people that make you feel loved and empowered, you know? And in your physical life with friends, it's definitely pay attention to those conversations. If you're around people that are really negative, projecting insecurity onto you, making you feel like crap, making you second guess your life, like those are bad friends. You need new friends. Yeah. And you can also speak up to those people because I yeah. think a lot of times women just talk about things and they don't realize it's not, it's not their fault that this is their focus, right? There's societal influences on everything, but you know, sometimes bringing it up to women, like, Hey, you know, you, you're always talking about this one aspect of your body, you know, maybe, but just bringing that conversation up, I think in another perspective, sometimes can be like enlightening for that woman to kind of look in and be like, wow, maybe this isn't productive. Maybe this isn't helpful for me or for the people that I'm talking to. Because it's like that scene in Mean Girls, like everyone's just going to jump on the bandwagon about <laughs> everything they hate about their bodies when someone brings it up. It's like a competition every time. So I think sometimes it's bringing that up. Like, why are we talking about this? Does this really matter? It's so true. And it really can, it can be beneficial for the people that need to stay in your life. Um, so I started doing some reconditioning with my parents over the last few years. And just had a trip with them just over 4th of July and their perspective has changed like completely, you know, it used to be that they would body shame me every time they saw me about something, they would pick something apart. And now they're just like, you know, talking about things that have nothing to do with the body, talking about my accomplishments, being, 
excited about what I'm doing in the world, you know, that type of like, just really talking about, you know, the whole more than a body kind of movement that's happening in wellness is like, just let's talk about other things. Why are we so focused on something that derails what we can do in this world to be impactful? That's amazing. Because again, another thing that's so common is women growing up with parents, especially mothers who comment on their bodies. And that can be tough, especially, you know, growing up in that environment. And then if you get to a point where you're kind of enlightened about it, this is clearly a person that needs to be in your life. Like, how do you have that conversation with them to let them know this is not productive? This is not helpful for anyone. It hasn't been easy. I'll tell you. (laughs) We've had. I couldn't imagine. We've definitely had some moments. I'm sure them seeing the work that you're doing has helped too. Yeah, I think that's the thing is like when you when you can kind of reframe their thought process. I think this is like you were saying like some people don't know what they're saying. They don't know what they're doing and that's true. I think people get in very like autopilot tunnel vision of the way they structure conversations and that's just like what they say and what they do and they don't know any different cuz people don't ever most often a majority of the population doesn't uh, approach change. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people don't change anything about themselves. They don't change the town they live in. They don't change the type of job they have. They don't change the type of conversations, the friendships, anything. The dynamic, people like being comfortable. They don't like being uncomfortable. They don't like conflict. They don't like change. And so it's not very often that people will recognize the type of narrative that they've chosen for the conversations that they have with people. So it's uncomfortable for them at first, but you have to if you want it to change, you have to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. You have to be okay with having conflicting conversations. You have to be okay with setting boundaries and bringing things up to people and being able to say, hey, I don't deserve to be treated that way. Or maybe you don't even know you treat me that way. Or let's have a conversation about this and how we got to this moment. Or you can... My mom is a very strong woman. She is an entrepreneur as she's like, my mom is a total like killer badass. And I think that's where I get a lot of my energy from. So talking to her is really, she's also an eight on the Enneagram. And so like, they're not afraid of conflict or drama. So in order for me to get on my mom's level, cause I'm a two, I'm the helper. So like, I've had to learn a lot about using my voice. So I just have to match it, you know, with her and just be like, no, you know, no, you are not going to do that. And almost kind of like parent her in a little bit, you know, and it it changes. Not everybody needs that level of love, but I think just like being able to get to a space where you're okay with having those conversations and still loving each other at the end of the day too, you know, with a compassionate heart and knowing that they don't want to hurt you. It's not intentional, but maybe they have pain. And maybe they have something, you know, that they're not expressing. And, you know, eventually when they accept vulnerability and they can be honest with you, then you can have a real conversation. So important. Who would have thought this was so important for this journey? (laughs) Right? Vulnerability is so hard for people. It's so hard. And it's tough. I, I run a mentorship right now. And like for a couple of the girls, like the vulnerability aspect has been like, whoa, really like they, it's been hard for them. Hard. One of them cries every time we have our calls. Oh my gosh. But that must be so like freeing for her. Totally. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's life changing. 
Yeah. And when you're a practitioner or working with a practitioner, both relationships, I think that the vulnerability piece is even more so important. It has to be. And that's the thing about, you know, I think that's why a lot of practitioners like reading happy weight, because when we go to school for nutrition, nobody talks about the psychology of the consultation. They just basically tell you how to be a clinical practitioner. Yes. But the reality is, is you're dealing with a human being that has pain, trauma, their own narrative, their own self-talk. There's so much going on there. And everyone's personality is so different. They're all motivated by different things. And so I, I love it when practitioners read Happy Weight and it offers them a new perspective of compassion. Because some nutritionists come into this that like have no problem with fitness, no problem with like, you know, they're just, they're those upholder personalities that are like, yeah, duh, this is what you do. And they don't recognize that that's not everyone's experience. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I didn't, I didn't ever intend it for, to be a tool for practitioners, but I've been really happy that it has been. Reading it as a, I mean, I wish I had read it before being a practitioner, but I think reading it as a practitioner and as somebody who's gone through a lot of these things myself, it did give me a different, a different perspective on all of that. Because as I'm reading it, I'm like, wow, this is stuff that I've gone through, but I can also like pick out different clients that I've worked with. Like, wow, she would love this passage. She would love this chapter. I need to send her this part of it. You do get a, a totally different perspective because everyone is so different and motivated by so many different things and has their own histories to kind of account for. Absolutely. While we're on that topic, what kind of information or what tips would you have for a practitioner maybe who has a woman who comes to them for weight loss, like a, you know, a, a NTP or any type of, of integrative health practitioner? What are some things that they can employ with that client to help that person? Well, I always ask why. So I think it's important for practitioners to ask what their client's why is. Because if you find out what the why is, you can deconstruct the reality of why they, they feel the need to get to this space. Because for a lot of people, it's going to be societally driven and emotionally driven. And then some, it's going to be because their doctor fat shamed them and told them they were, you know, all of these things that, you know, crap statistics and that type of stuff. So most of them can be misinformed. And so once you know the why is, then you have kind of like the leverage to alter the narrative. Mm -hmm. And you can say, well, I don't work with weight loss. What I do is I work on homeostasis and I work on balancing the body. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to be able to look at every aspect of who you are, everything about you physiologically, look at your inflammation markers, and we're going to be able to get you to a place where you have quality of life. And we can't let weight loss be the factor because all we want to do is just feel good every day. So true. You I, know, and so, yeah, that's more or less, I mean. I love that. No, it is. It's getting into why because so many weight loss goals are motivated by different things, whether it is like an intrinsic motivation or it is something external like someone or some practitioner or doctor told them that they need to lose weight. I've seen that happen a lot too. Like women are like, I was okay with how, you know, I am in my body, but my doctor told me I need to lose 20 pounds. 
Well, then there's also the concept of body neutrality. I'm not anti-weight loss. And I I always try to remind people of that because when they read happy weight, they sometimes get a little confused thinking that I'm completely anti. But the reality is, is what was it? Was it the weight or was it the inflammation? And so I always talk more about hormones and inflammation than I do about weight in, in happy weight. Um, because the reality is, is like, yeah, sometimes you can gain adipose tissue because of the different inflammatory conditions or hormonal imbalances in the body, but sometimes not. And so it's just about, like you said before, looking at the body as a complete individual and then saying, how can we get to a space where you feel good every day? So, you know, it's, it's so much more complicated than words. I think that's the problem is everyone wants to put a label on it. And I'm like, I just want you to feel good and love yourself. <laughs> and how you define feeling good. It's totally, you know, subjective. Yeah. I, I ask that question a lot of times when, when women come in and they're like, oh, I want to be this certain weight or I want to lose this certain amount because there's this other view. It's like, okay, let's say we work together and I help you, you know, get to that weight, but you still have this, these morning cravings, this afternoon fatigue, this um, eczema, acne, whatever other symptoms this person is presenting with. If you lost that weight and you were at your goal weight, but you still had all this other stuff going on, would that weight loss actually be worth it? And I think sometimes that puts a light bulb. It's like, okay, maybe it isn't the weight or maybe it isn't just the weight. Yeah. What else is it? Like, who's making you feel that way? Do you have a significant other that like body shames you? Maybe there's time to reframe that relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, do you work in a place that actually makes you feel that way? Maybe it's the time for a new job. You know, it's the thing is like, what is disempowering you in your life that's directly in front of you that makes you feel inherently like something is wrong? And that you have the power to change that situation. Yeah, you do. That's the part that's always, and maybe because I'm always the outsider, the change is really easy for me, but change is so hard for people. Perspective, changing perspective is so difficult. And that's something that I have recognized over being a practitioner and then also working with humans, you know, in the service industry since I was 15 is that people rely on routine in order to give them safety and comfort. And when you, people think that if you lose safety and comfort, that your life is going to fall apart, but it doesn't, it actually could be better than you ever expected it to be. That's so true. Well, like better, better than anything. Oh, you're a six. So that's like, that speaks to me because that's, that's been my whole narrative. My whole life is just fear of insecurity, fear of unsafety and comfort is something I've struggled with for sure, because it's scary what's on the other side. You're the only six I know that is really put herself out there. I am so impressed. Seriously, Kim, so <laughs> impressed. It's hard. It's really hard. All my other six friends are like, nope, I'm, I'm good over here in my corner. <laughs> no, it's hard. It's been a conscious effort. And I think a lot of self-exploration, like knowing that I'm a six and I do all the personality tests, like, you know, this is kind of veering off, but like, I find that for my own health and my own, you know, physical, but also mental health is just learning myself more has made 
an amazing impact on me because it does, it gets you in tune with what your strengths are, maybe what your weaknesses are. And then, you know, you have the choice. You can act on those things or not. Yes. And so that brings up a really good point to anyone listening. These are my favorite personality tests. The ones um, that we're talking about right now is the Enneagram. That one is huge. It's actually, you can't change your Enneagram. You can either be a healthy or an unhealthy and different, have different wings, but that's who you are. So that's really important to check that out. Then there is um, Gretchen Rubin's Four Tendencies. That was one of my biggest favorites when I found out I was a rebel. It made life make so oh, much more so sense. Well. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the Five Love Languages. That was huge for partnerships, relationships, friendships. That was amazing. And then the ultimate kicker for me was human design. Mm. That was like, whoa. It finally made me feel like I knew who I was and that I didn't need to apologize because I'm very different from most people. A lot of people don't get me. And I've, it makes me feel, I used to feel inherently alone because of that reason. But then once I did all of these different tests, I recognized I'm just different and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And the people that I do have in my life that love me make me feel so fulfilled. It really taught me to set so many boundaries in my life around the friendships and relationships that did not work out. It did not make me feel good. So I really feel like personality tests are so important for us to find that comfort to be able to find the things that do bring us joy. Like for you as a six, if you didn't know you were a six, you wouldn't know what your strengths and weaknesses are in order to be able to say, how do I want this to be different? And same for a two, like, oh my gosh, we can be so terrible if we're an unhealthy number. You know, we can literally give all of our energy away to every single human on the planet and then just be like a complete martyr. And I don't want to... <laughs> I don't think being a martyr is very attractive. So I'm like, I don't want to be that person. <laughs> that's why, well, that's one thing I love about the Enneagram. We actually had an episode on it um, that I recorded a couple weeks ago. Oh, awesome. But um, I mean, I want to, I'll dive into it all the time, but I love that you can be, you can present in different ways. And I think that is self-awareness in itself because it's like, okay, this is, this is my number, but I can recognize if I'm presenting, you know, when I'm stressed, I present in other ways versus when I feel really good and healthy and comfortable and safe, I present in other ways. And it is awareness because it's like, once you know, you have that opportunity to do something, to change it, to act differently, to work on it, to just dive into it, like journal about it, talk about it, whatever. Um, I haven't dived, dove into the human design yet, but I, ha I guess I have to do that. <laughs> Well, that's the one that like made me finally, cause I've always been a very hypersexual person and just always very comfortable with bodies and very comfortable with talking about sex and offering advice about bodies and body parts and genitalia. And I was like, is there something wrong with me? And then I did my human design and my incarnation cross is the veil of the cross of love. And my gate of sexuality is completely defined. And so I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. I am designed literally to be here for people to talk about the things that make them uncomfortable to make them more comfortable. Interesting. I'm so glad you brought that up because I want to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you talk about this I, because it's, again, unless you're following like specific accounts that are dedicated to talking about sexuality, which, you know, they are out there if you don't know that 
you don't really see this coming up. And you talk a lot about it on social media, and I think it's really, really interesting. And I'm sure you've had some interesting responses to it too, because I know that you try to ask questions and you know have people get in with the conversation. And I'm curious how you've seen people respond to that. Well, I've seen some people respond super positively. And those are the ones that usually make the public comments on my sexuality posts. And they're like, you know, they feel seen, they feel like it's a safe space for them. And then the ones you don't see are the ones in the DMs, where I have touched on something that makes them uncomfortable. And then they've chosen to make me the person that's responsible for that feeling. And that's actually part of my human design as well, is that if I don't give something to someone that they need or that they want or make them feel inherently perfect about themselves, then they will attack me instead of reflect on themselves and what's bringing up that emotion. And so I've learned, you know, through conscious conflict and just like healthy conflict conversations and being a practitioner for so many years, I've been able to understand how to communicate those things. Sometimes, sometimes if I'm having a bad day, it gets the best of me. But the reality is, is that sexuality is a very difficult conversation for a lot of people. We do not arm our children to talk about sex in a healthy way Mm -hmm. because we're such a pro-abstinence religious culture in the United States that we don't recognize that that is detrimental. That is where homophobia comes in. That's where, you know, molestation of children comes in. That's where rape culture comes in. If we are not open about our sexuality with our children at a very young age, like most European cultures, then we're going to have a lot more issues, you know, teen pregnancy, STDs, you know, all of these different things. And so I really try and rip the bandaid off and talk about all of those things. So it can give a space for people to be able to have a platform to ask questions. I had a young gentleman from, um, from the Middle East who asked me if it was poisonous to have sex with his partner while she was on her period. Wow. And I was like, he's like, yeah, am I going to get an infection? And I was like, no. So that's being taught in other parts of the world, you know? And so it's just like, I'm okay with the people that decide to project their negativity onto me because that's only 1%. The rest of it is all positive and women are growing and they're living in their bodies and they're looking at their vulvas in the mirror And men even are like confronting their issues with sexuality and like, you know, insecurity. And it's just been really beautiful. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy. I'm sad I decided to take a social media detox, like right when I launched the Volvo Magic podcast, because I haven't launched any new episodes in the last couple of months. But I'm really excited this fall to like really get back into it and just like talk about some really interesting topics. Absolutely. I love that podcast and I'll link to it. Thank you. So much fun. So do you feel that like this happy weight body image area also relates to this inexpressiveness of sexuality? Do you think there's a connection there? Hell yeah, absolutely. If you are not comfortable with your body, you're most likely having a terrible sex life Hmm. because some women won't even be naked in front of their partners. And I'm, I'm naked all day, every day, if I'm inside my house. <laughs> and that's not to say that I'm more evolved or I'm better. It's just that you can look at the difference. 
of when you are comfortable being naked and expressing your sexuality with your partner or partners or however you choose. Um, but if you definitely look at the correlation of your sexual experiences and how you feel about your body, there's definitely a connection there. And you can see it like how this is such a learned behavior because like putting sexuality aside, when you look at little kids, they love being naked. Like what oh, happens yeah. to us over time that we think that being naked is like bad or wrong or uncomfortable. And people marvel at kids like, oh, wow, yeah, she's two and she loves to be naked. It's not weird. It's, it's normal. Because at that point, we're kind of genderless until we start to mature. And as soon as we mature, then all of a sudden there's this gender divide. And then there's sort of like this privatization of sexuality because oh god forbid we have pubic hair and our breasts have started to develop like what the fuck sorry can I cuss on your podcast absolutely okay <laughs> it's just it's really frustrating and like I'm so grateful for living in Norway um when I was 16 because I completely changed my perspective I grew up in a very catholic very like private body you know, conservative environment. And then I go to this like completely like get naked on the beach. Second day I was there, you know, all the girls shower together after gym. And it's like, what's wrong with you Americans? Why are you so prude? You know, that was like said to me every day. And I recognize like, there's this whole other world out there of people that are comfortable in their bodies and having conversations about sex and being safe about it and supporting each other. And they have less accounts of rape, less accounts of teen pregnancy, less accounts of molestation, less accounts of homophobia. You know, there are these cultures around the world that are actually operating in their sexuality because they're not hiding it from everybody else. Because when you hide your sexuality, when you create that prudence and that privatization of your sexuality, it can hurt other people because you're going to manifest it in different ways. You're going to manifest it in anger in emotional outburst, or even just the way that you treat other people. Because when we're insecure about something or when we're jealous that someone else is able to be free about something, we will hurt them, whether it's emotional or physical. And so it's dangerous for us to not talk about sexuality. So it's so bizarre to me that as soon as we start to develop and we have our first sexual education courses, we separate boys and girls. Mm -hmm. We give them a very gender binary discussion of sexuality and development, which is wrong. And then also undertones of religiosity that's very much like abstinence is the only way. True. Very true. It's, gr it's gross. I'm sorry. I, I love being an American, but I think like our views on sexuality are so fucked. And it's interesting that you had that experience in another country where you just got to be immersed in something so different. Yeah. And even my host sister was already having like safe sex, you know, when she was 15 and it was not a big deal because it was like teenagers want to have sex. So encourage them to have healthy, mature partnerships and teach them how to be safe. Yeah. Because if not, what's the alternative? It's like, it's the same thing with all these, you know, anti-abortion laws that are happening. It's like, you're never going to stop it from happening. It's just not going to happen safely. It's the same thing with teenagers and sex, right? If you're not teaching them to do it safely, they're not going to stop. No, of course not. No one's ever, they're going to find ways to do it. And I always think of one of my dear friends from high school, you know, of course it's not a sad story now because she's a very happy mom, but she got a full ride scholarship to Boston University 
She was 18 years old, but her family was very religious, very Catholic. She didn't know anything about sex. And the first time when she lost her virginity, she got pregnant. So she had to drop out of school. Her family disowned her. She moved into a group home for mothers. And someone who probably would have had a very promising career in the medical industry was completely stopped at 18 because nobody told her that pre-cum can get you pregnant. So there's a lack of education, but there's also that shame piece because, you know, it could have been a different story even if she had gotten pregnant and her family had supported her instead of shaming her. Or she could have been supported into having an abortion and gone back to school and had a different life. And so that's the thing is like abortion is healthcare and proper sex education is healthcare, you know? And it's like, we are just completely avoiding these realities because of just very antiquated views on life. Do you have any um, recommendations for like maybe social media accounts to follow or books or other resources if somebody is like, wow, this is totally new to me, but I'm interested in it? Yeah. I mean, gosh, there's, I don't even know where to start. Or even just like, you know, not, not even sources of information, like things that somebody can start doing. I would say, I mean, honestly, if you even just like look up any sort of like sex guru hashtag or like healthy body hashtag in terms of your sexuality, you're going to find so many influencers that are talking about these things um, that are very unapologetic. So I think just like really exploring and experimenting, like you'll find women that are talking about period normalization and like vulva normalization and sexuality and all of the ways to protect yourself and consent and everything. So it's out there if you, if you actually make the choice to look for it. Um, as far as where to start, as far as like having healthy conversations about sexuality is literally just that start talking about it, start educating yourself, start reading about it, start, you know, there's some great books. There's one that's like, come as you are is a fantastic book that talks about orgasm and partnership and everything like that. And, and there's just so many amazing books about hormones and bodies and, everything. It's just people need to, well, I hate to say need or should or stop or anything because these are your choices, whether or not you want to make them or not. But I would really love to encourage women to start researching how their body works and how sexuality works and to explore things that turn them on. You know, like it was so fun to go to pride this, this year because It's just like changed so much now that sexuality is starting to have this very subculture of understanding like non-binary restrictions and then also non-binary restrictions on sexuality because I would refer to myself as pansexual. So I'm just someone that just falls in love with people and I find them sexually attractive and it doesn't matter if they're trans, it doesn't matter if they're non-binary or if they're female. I'm just like, love people and I love sex. And I'm sure if I lived in the sixties and was single, I probably would have had a really good time, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm married to my soulmate and we don't, we don't have a non-monogamous relationship. And so that's okay. That's what works for me. Um, but totally like, it's just one of those things that I encourage people to go to safe spaces where you can explore your sexuality and learn more about it. Good advice. I love that. Um, so we only have a couple more minutes and I wish we could keep talking about all of these things, but I do want to talk about 
an entirely different topic that we haven't really touched upon, but you are working on some really amazing projects in the wellness space, and I want to talk about that. Okay. <laughs> so um, you recently launched a conference, WellnessCon, and you have a new company coming out, Your Wellness Academy, which I can't wait for. Um, so can we talk a little bit about your motivation to work in these programs, these, these companies? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll give you a little bit of context. Um, I've just had a diverse background. You know, I grew up, I spoke Spanish before I spoke English. My first very best friend was Mexican. I've grown up always being like the token white kid in all of my friend groups. And so diversity has just really been a part of my life. I've lived and traveled all over the world. And so it was just one of those things that I didn't recognize um, white industries until I got into wellness. And then I, cause even the service industry I worked in was super diverse as well. And so working in wellness was the first like almost whites only industry. And it was just super gross. Like every conference I went to, everyone was white. Every online summit, everyone's white. Every podcast guest is white. Like it was just, I was like, what is happening? What is this? I was like, these people are abusing their privilege. Mm. And Alina and I fell in love with each other online in the online space. She's a YouTuber and I like started watching her videos years ago. And then we had each other on each other's podcasts and then it kind of developed from there. And then we both like recognized like, we know this is a problem. Let's try and do something about it. And so Lena had this brilliant idea to start a conference that specifically showcases voices of color. So important because there is, I, I've never, honestly never realized it until recently, like the lack of diversity in the wellness space, but also as a person of color, if you are trying to get information, it's, it can be very one-sided if it's not you know, if it's coming at you from a person that doesn't have your background or doesn't know your circumstances. And I could imagine both sides of it just being really, really narrow-minded and one-sided. Yeah. And a lot of people look at me and I'm like the token wannabe woke basic white bitch, right? I have green eyes and blonde hair. Like it's so no, I'm not walking. People aren't looking at me thinking like, oh, she used to speak five languages and has like lived in China. And you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it, and I'm not trying to like say I am super woke because that's ridiculous and also problematic. Um, so I just recommend to people to go out there and follow people who are making a change and are helping people to understand what racism actually is. And Layla Saad, she wrote You and White Supremacy. That's a really good one. White Fragility is also a really amazing book for white women to read. And it's going to bring up a lot of shit for you. It's going to mm -hmm. make you pissed off. It's going to make you feel bad. It's going to make you feel bad about yourself. But that's the reality is like we grew up in an institutionalized racist, you know, society. We are colonizers. Well, some of us are. I mean, I'm third generation Irish. So I, I've only been here for, you know, a couple generations, but a lot of Caucasian people in America are colonizers. And so that's the thing is like, you have to recognize what your impact is, what your privilege is and what you're going to do to change it. Absolutely. And I think that's the thing is like wellness con is not a exclusive space. It's not an anti-white space. It's a, Hey, let's make a change. 
and stop using labels at some point because you should recognize color. You can't say you're colorblind. That's also racist. So, but at some point we'd like to all just say, these are people, you know, we don't want to have to use the claim diversity and inclusion or use the term a person of color. It'd be nice to people, you know, and get to that place where everyone is recognized. So that was Alina's dream. It was unbelievable. We had our first conference in June in LA. It was so emotionally amazing. And if you go to the wellness com page on Instagram, you can see, if you go to the website, you can see like it was otherworldly. And for me, I love conferences, but I told Alina, I was like, I'm, I'm a little bit too old for this amount of work because <laughs> she's 25 and I'm 35. So she's got the energy for it. So, um, so I'm still going to be a sponsor for wellness con, but she's going to like go full on with it and make it into a full on brand. And for me, my speed is that I have developed a new company called your wellness Academy, which is going to feature, which is about accessibility and diversity. And it is about all voices and it's a platform to educate people and make wellness accessible because the reality is is currently wellness is inaccessible it's cost prohibitive and it's mostly white and so i developed your wellness academy to try and disrupt that because clearly i'm a disruptor did it with happy weight gonna do it again gonna completely change everything um but i have some unbelievable instructors that are going to be a part of this, you being one of them, which is very exciting. It's going to be so incredible. And so it's just one of those things I can't wait to launch um, on September 23rd. And the first round is going to be um, just my videos because I just need to get content out there. And then coming, you know, late February, early March of 2020 is when I have all, um, I think, what is it, almost 30 instructors that are going to be launching their own videos into the platform as well. So it's just, I've got a long-term five-year plan. It's going to be amazing. It's a lot of work and it's, it's amazing. But at the same time, like it needs to happen. It needs to happen. It does because it's just normalizing. Like you said, it's making it, this is not, this doesn't have to be this conversation. If we just make it normal to include all voices in the wellness space and make this content accessible to everyone. Yes. It's so true. You know, it's so funny because I was looking at this YouTube influencer the other day and I think it's one of those things, you know, those, those guilty pleasures, people that you follow, like you don't gain anything from their content, but you like to see what they're up to. And I think I followed this girl for a couple of years and I was on her Instagram and I saw she only follows 13 people. And I was like, who are these 13 people? All of them were white. So this girl has millions of people following her and they probably look at who she's following and it's just like, ah, oh, man, you guys, you need to recognize what you're doing, what your impact is, who you're inviting into your space, what you're being supportive of, what you're leaving behind, what message you're sending to everybody else that's following you, like get with it, you know, because I think a lot of wellness influencers do leave people out without really realizing it especially if that's the content she's curating just by following 13 people. It's like, what yeah. are you, what are you missing out on that now you're not giving out to your audience? Yes, exactly. So, so 
this isn't a platform either to make myself look better or try to be better in that space. Because like I said, I don't like being a martyr. I think it's really gross. Um, and I have a, one of my best friends told me that I have a, a Dorothy style of leadership, like from Wizard of Oz. I like to walk the yellow brick road with everyone. So <laughs> this is going to be a very collaborative space of every time a module is over from an instructor, you will have all the resources to their work. This is about promoting their work and showcasing them and everything that they do. And I just, I'm excited to even be a part of their world. That's awesome. And no matter what, everything that you're doing, there's just such a, a sense of empowerment, all of it and a empowerment for everyone. So I love that. Thank you. I just, you know, when you love the people that are around you and what you're doing, I think it just feels good. You yeah, know, and talk about curating, <laughs> talk about curating, <laughs> like shifting your perspective. It's amazing what you can do when you're fired up about something and you have people in your life that are ready to do it with you and support you and make it happen. I couldn't even believe, like when I sent out the first email, when I hit send, I was nervous, you know, to all the new instructors. And then everyone was like, well, duh, we're going to do this. And I was like, oh my God, it's so soul affirming. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, when I got that email, I was like, oh crap, like how, how has nobody thought of this before? Of course I want to do this. Like, this is amazing. It's, it's really, it's, it's going to be groundbreaking. It's really exciting. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. And I do have to give a little credit to my husband because he's worked in the e-learning training world for like 15 years. So it, his insight has been really helpful. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I'm sure that that makes a big difference when you have a partner that <laughs> can help you with that kind of stuff and support you. That's huge. Awesome. I think I would like to say that's my final thing, you know, for this, for this podcast today, find people that empower you and lift you up. Yes. Amen. I love that. I actually, that's been a consistent theme in my life the past, like, you know, this year, especially like going, when you go going through crap, you need people. You really, really do. And when you have people that bring you down, and then I feel bad for the people that don't have those people in your life. Like, seek them out. Find them. Because when you have people that don't support you, everything is, everything is harder. I love that. That might be your, your full quote for this episode. I like it. <laughs> so true. Um, all right. Well, good. So where can people find you and all the work that you're doing? Yeah. So, um, you can find me on Instagram at Danielle Della Valley NTP. I know Kim will put the link to that. Cause my mm -hmm. name is really hard to spell because <laughs> my first name only has one L my last name has four. So it's a little <laughs> weird. Um, so that's my Instagram. I'm only on social detox until September one because I'm, I'm going on a lot of fabulous trips and working hard behind the scenes. But if you want to follow my new company, it's at Your Wellness Academy, and um, we've got some rad swag that's going to be coming out because it's a big part of the marketing push is also people that are going to be wearing Yoa shirts. Kim's going to get one soon, so you'll see it on her Instagram. And um, you can also go to my website, uh, daniellevalley.com. Not much is happening there, but if you feel like you need to get in contact with me, please. I'm always looking at my DMs. I'm always looking at my emails. I'm always open to feedback, comments, connections, love, anything. Um, I'm, I'm probably, I don't know. I'd like to tout myself as just a very open human being. So there's never a weird question, never a weird conversation, and I'm never too busy to connect. So 
Awesome. And then you also have the podcast, which I know you said you don't, haven't launched any new episodes, but you will be returning to that. Yes, I will be returning to launching a whole bunch of new episodes on Vulva Magic. So you can follow me at Vulva Magic Podcast on Instagram, um, or it's uh, I'm on Podbean, you know, Vulva Magic. And the thing is, is that you'll you'll hear in the intro or the first four episodes of Vulva Magic is like talking about periods and sexuality and witchcraft and spirituality and all the things that like kind of encompass my life and what lights me up. So it's, it's going to be a fun podcast and you can, it could be your guilty pleasure if you need something to dip your toe in. <laughs> Absolutely, But I, you can also learn a lot. I've also, I've listened to those episodes and learned a lot. So it's not just like fun and fluff. It's, it's education and insight and enlightening. Yes. Well, and you were a guest on there too. So that does help. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I will link to all of these things. I'm definitely going to link to the book, Your Wellness Academy. I hope people go and follow you there and jump on board when that's launched. So thank you so much for being on. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure to chat with you. And I hope that I know that so many women are going to take a lot from this episode. I hope so. And, yeah. you know, just know that I'm a person just like you, you know, just like everybody else. We all go through stuff and you know, I see you and you're loved. Well, thank, thank you, Danielle. <laughs> All right, everyone, we're wrapping up now. So uh, be sure that you follow the podcast on Instagram. We're at Balance Babes Podcast. We do have the Balance Babes community. You can just search that on Facebook and you can find me at Root and Branch Nutrition. Until next time, everyone. <laughs>